0: everyone welcome to reality tv Hap ups for episode eight of season seven of the amazing race canada and now here are the two people that are always ready to talk about this and that jessica lee and dan heaton hello dan
1: hello my word for this podcast is believe i believe in team dan we're we're doing it jess
0: yeah team dan had a, had the best week ever one might even
1: say I didn't even win the leg, though. It's like I got second and third. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm not getting no one's. Well, no (laughs) one's getting eliminated. But and I kind of figured that. But the point is they weren't last. This is great. But more importantly, what that signifies rather than some draft that no one really cares about is changed it up. It was different. Teams were doing different things. I enjoyed it. What did you think? Yeah, everything was different, this leg. It felt like a return to
0: normalcy, if you will. It felt like we were coming back to the amazing race that we all know and love. After a couple of legs that felt kind of eh, we're getting to a place where this is a beautiful area that I definitely want to go visit. These were difficult tasks. There was navigation snafus. There was team drama there were people with suspense there was great looking food this was really everything i want out of an amazing race leg all in one neat little quebecois package
1: yeah it was it was cool and here's the th- i mean you've got five teams you have a, a, i think it's a good mix right now i feel like the five we have left you have all different types of teams then you have a roadblock and a detour which super rare <laughs> and to me The self-driving, especially with the, you know, unintentional help of the rain and the fog and everything else made for what I was, even though I kind of had a feeling of where it was going, I wasn't sure. I was kind of on the edge of my seat because I felt like there was just so many switch ups. Like you had teams in last that then were in first and then were in last and teams kept getting lost. And you look at this and you're like, all right, it's amazing what putting a team in a Chevy can do. It's, it's incredible.
0: It's true. Oh, we will get to this. I think this is Almost, I would put some of this on leg design. I would put another piece of it on the great cast, which I think we have not really given enough credit to how awesome all of these people are at being on television and being in this race. But I would really put the bulk of it on editing because I thought this was a very well edited leg that told a story and set up some narration, I think, for the long haul that we're going to have to talk about.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, as we go through it, you really got to see stories. And we've got this whole season. I think they've done a good job where we're in the situation now where I don't feel like there are any teams that I have no opinion of. Like I'm either rooting for a team or I'm kind of like I'm not rooting for them. But then I'm like, oh, I kind of like the way they're acting this week. Or there's another team where I think I don't know how I feel or I'm just entertained. I mean, it helps to have. Remember last week when I said this leg really was missing a hard roadblock. It might've made the whole thing work. A hard roadblock can make a big difference in in a leg. I will say it adds to drama. It adds to team dynamics when teams get it, they're excited. That could really change the whole thing. And I don't want to put it on one thing, but to me, you have a hard task in the middle of a leg. It sets up everything else.
0: Yeah, I would agree. This leg really lived and died by that super hard roadblock. But before we get into that, I think We have to talk a little bit about the location, because I think location was everything this leg. This felt like a destination. This felt like traveling. This didn't feel like the tour board of some medium-sized Canadian city paid off the Amazing Race Canada to attempt to make them look good, which is how I've kind of felt these last couple of legs about the destinations. I mean, I'm not going to say anything to disparage the good people of Kitchener-Waterloo, but I don't really feel like buying a plane ticket and hopping on a plane to go there right away. But this one really felt different. Like the Charlevoix region is just gorgeous. And it felt like they said it themselves. They felt like they were going to a different country. And all they had to do was get on a train and travel for a few hours. And then all of a sudden, you're in the middle of Quebec, which looks beautiful. I'm still sad that I've never actually been there.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think, though, there is a big part of this put into the fact that they had a pretty significant train ride because just having them do something different. Because when you're flying around Canada, your flights might often be an hour or two or something. They could be longer if you're going from one side to the other, obviously, three, four, five, whatever. But they've had a lot of shorter flights and such. This, it was a significant, I think he said a thousand kilometers is what John said, which I don't know how fast that train was going, but that's pretty sizable as far as a trip. So, right off the bat, they have all this time on there in this beautiful area. And then you could tell by the way that, you know, teams were driving around for two hours or an hour or whatever. This was not a two hour leg. This leg felt bigger. And given that we're going to do it again and they're going to keep going, all of a sudden you look at that and you're like, Already, this is like one of the longer legs they've done, possibly the longest. And then we're going to do another one and add it up and it's going to be huge.
0: I think they're going to get some killer fatigue setting in. And I think that's another component that's been missing from this race is we've had a lot of people doing these very short legs. And then you get to go and check into your hotel and have a good night's sleep and get up in the morning and eat a big breakfast and do it all over again. This one. They start the leg. I think David and Arena left at 3 a.m. Everybody gets on at the crack of dawn onto all onto the same train, and they have this kind of long haul. Then they have a long leg. Now they don't get to rest. I think next leg we're going to really see some people start to come unglued.
1: Right, and also I think too with how the leg went, and I know we're jumping ahead a bit, but how the placements went and how everything was flipped around, I think what. This usually happens at the final five, but the pressure really ramps up. You, you uh, It's unlikely that a team is just going to fall apart, not because of fatigue, but just like do something dumb. You've got five teams that some have been better than others. Four of the five have one legs, you know, multiple legs for several. I think we're in stage for something great next week, but I don't want to jump too far ahead because I feel like the reason we're in stage for that, the reason that we're set up for that is because things were so good this week and they really put them through the ringer a bit.
0: Yeah, this is the race hitting its stride, which is that phase of the race that you always liked, Dan. It's just a little bit later this year.
1: Yeah, and I think it's because, like you said, they hadn't gone international yet, which are sometimes by this point, they've gone twice overseas in some way or at least to Mexico you know, or Cuba or whatnot. So this is a case where... We're now kind of getting this is as close to an international leg as we're going to get. And this is nothing against Quebec or anything. It's just because it's so different and because it was such a long trip. And we saw it where I feel like the stakes feel so much higher now. And some of the teams that were near the back or we had a foot race, too. It's just it's fun. And I know I'm jumping all over the map. So maybe we should get to the starting point. I mean, we talked about the train ride. But, you know, I think we need to spend about an hour talking about how they had to peel some potatoes. Well, I think it's just
0: amazing that we're seven seasons in and we're finally getting a challenge that has to do with poutine.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. And that poutine looked really good. And I do appreciate, again, like like we've had in the past with like the Nanaimo bar and such, that they do get to eat it because that's the worst thing. I mean, they might have done it off screen, but sometimes it seems like they deal with something really nice and then they just leave. And they don't get to eat it. Where now it's like, yeah, they had to peel twenty five potatoes, but hey, they each get this poutine, and you know, it's it's. I'm sure they appreciated it. It looked really good.
0: I definitely wanted poutine after I watched that, and I don't always feel that way when there are food prep tasks on this show. Partly because you're watching it and you're thinking, well, nobody took the time to wash their hands. But I guess it was part of this is because they didn't actually have to prepare that poutine that they were eating. That was like professionally prepared poutine. So. That looked like good stuff. I also liked that the challenge was basically right next to the train tracks. And so they got off the train and like crossed in front of the train they just got off of, which looked like it was like basically it gave the sense that the train didn't even really slow down as if they were hopping off of a moving vehicle. I really enjoyed that. That just kind of gave this momentum to the leg that I really never stopped in my
1: opinion. Yeah. And it just felt like they were really It's like we talk about sometimes how it doesn't feel like they're traveling like rather they hop in a cab then they go to one place that's like you know even last week we saw where it's like they're at a university and dealing with the robots and you know that's fine that was enjoyable but it's a case where this felt like wow they're on a journey they're on this train they're you know and seeing that like you said instead of getting in a cab going somewhere indoors that's kind of static they're still out there and also We jump right into it. I like that we jump right into doing something and then they get the key as opposed to we get off the train, we get the key, we drive somewhere, we go do something. They do something first, get the key, get the roadblock clue, and then get in the car and actually are driving somewhere, which is another case like you mentioned before. Where they found they had the roadblock clue before th- and then they drove somewhere, which I guess is something now we've they've done three times this season.
0: I think just about everything we ever find wrong with task design in The Amazing Race can be solved by make them do a thing first. I feel like that is every complaint we have. It's like, put another task there, make them do a thing. And there were all the things to do this leg.
1: It was great. Yeah. And also, even though that first one, you might say, oh, it was just a rude info, whatever. It's still, I think, set things up well, where also they kind of, you don't start with the hardest task first. You kind of have this, you get in the car, you drive somewhere, you put the hard task in the middle, and you have something that's kind of hard, but the way it kind of built up and then kind of slid down slightly and went to the end was well done because you have kind of the, the main arc of the story is this middle where basically um, you have the main arc of the story where... They all hit the speech. And I know I keep talking about it, but, you know, it was it dominated the episode, really nothing against the detour. but They do something cool. They get in these big Chevy trucks and they all drive. And it is a case where there was some getting lost at the start, but it was still sort of not. It was kind of foggy. We already saw some split before we even got to the roadblock.
0: Yeah, it was great that they kind of reward you for being able to do a kind of a manual dexterity task, which peeling potatoes certainly is. And then I liked Joanne and Lauren getting rewarded for having eating in the car skills,
1: which we've seen on their very famous Vine. (laughs) Yeah, you know, while um, I guess... In this case, Joanne was eating and driving, so she wasn't gonna, you know, it wasn't like when if Lauren was driving, she would probably hit the brakes to mess up, you know, just to, <laughs> to kind of fool with Joanne. But, um, but in this case, it was both. But you know, that was that was a fun moment, and you know, yeah, they they, get, they practice that enough when they shoot all their videos. So this is like total test. Now, if she had tried to feed her and missed, that would have been like the five hole for the week, I guess. You know, the the misfeeding of the food.
0: it's true. That's kind of their
1: brand. now. (laughs) Also, I noticed that the question that they asked for the roadblock was who wants to pressure luck, which I was just like, people, I wondered, I'd be on there like, are we doing a game show? What are we doing? What's, what's this about? It's like, no, it was not. Who wants to pressure luck actually is about meeting the press, which I'm sure people were kind of like, Oh, that is not as cool. Cause I know one of the teams was like, Oh, you're going to have to press on the ground or do something strong. It's like, no, No, it was meeting the press in a place where some wonderful world leaders all met recently.
0: Some wonderful world leaders and some less wonderful world leaders. But (laughs) Rob doesn't like it when I get political on this podcast. So let's talk about the hotel, though, Dan, because this, I think you and I are going to get so geeky that all the people that haven't already turned off the podcast when I made a political joke are going to turn off the podcast now because we're going to geek out about Epcot again because (laughs) this hotel looks. Quite a bit like the hotel facsimile that is in the Canada Pavilion at Epcot. Am I right?
1: You are right. And it's interesting because at first when you mentioned Epcot, I was thinking like, wait, did it, no, they don't have anything with the press or maybe what? And then I to, we figured it out. I figured it out. But yes, like, you know, if you go to the the wonderful Canada Pavilion at Epcot, which for a short time actually featured lumberjacks who threw saws around as that didn't last very long. I just figured I had to mention that as a failed entertainment option. But yeah, inside this, this not real, it's not actually a hotel if you haven't been there, but they have a, they show a movie called Oh Canada with Martin Short. And then they also have a restaurant in the basement. But the real thing is the outside is just Stunning. It's really big. It's still not as big as this. It's one of the more impressive facades that they have. And I mean, it's an actual building, but it's not to scale, and you can't go sleep there. But I liked it. And I think if I was at this Fairmount Hotel here on this leg, sadly, I would think of Epcot, not the other way around.
0: I think most things make you think of Epcot, Dan. And by extension, they make me think of Epcot. Um, (laughs) I did want to point out, though, that the one at Epcot is a model of an actual Fairmont hotel, albeit not this one. It is based on the Chateau Laurier in Ottawa, but it's very similar architecture styles and very similar era. The first time I saw one of these, I thought, oh, it's like the one at Banff. And kind of same style, same philosophy, same Fairmont, same everything. So these are really fancy hotels that are good places to have world leader summits,
1: apparently. Yeah, I actually once stayed at a Fairmont because I used to work for a travel company and ended up in Vancouver for a short time. And yes, that... I stayed at the Fairmont in Vancouver, which kind of looked like this, but is in the middle of the city. That was the kind of hotel that someone who was not a low-level travel writer would stay at, I will say, because I was not writing <laughs> about the hotel, but it's very nice. It, at the time, I think the bathroom was almost as big as my apartment at the time. So it was it was a big room. But so the Fairmont, thumbs up, and we haven't even gotten to talk about this wonderful task.
0: Well, I think you are chomping at the bit to talk about this wonderful task. So I think we got to get right into it. This. Sounded terribly hard and I thought, am I missing something? Like, are they going to get to read the speech? or no, they have to memorize it because we've run into that before. We already had a task this season where people thought they had to memorize something that they only had to read. But oh, no, this one you had to memorize and you
1: had to do it in two languages. Yeah, this was harder because at first, you know, they've had memorized. I I love when they do these kind of dorky things like this. I, I think of the season four one where they had to give the speech and the garb and it was very, you know, I forget exactly how it went, but I remember... You know, it was, um, Steph, I think it was uh, Kristen of Steph and Kristen really got into it. And so they do this sometimes even where you memorize a speech. But I felt like this was a lot harder because then. So you memorize a speech in multiple languages, which is already harder, as we saw when teams had to transition to another language. They struggled. And then you just ask them some questions, which I know the questions had clues to the answer, but it wasn't even one answer. It was multiple answers. I watched this and I'm like, I'm sitting here on my couch. I'm not stressed. This doesn't mean anything. And if you asked me to memorize this, it would be super hard. I can't imagine how long it took some of the teams.
0: Yeah. And there's really no sense of scale as to how long this took, because ultimately, the editing made it seem like everybody kind of figured it out eventually. You didn't have any of these like 43 tries. I think the most we saw were nine
1: tries. Yeah. I wonder if they spent a lot of time having to practice, though. Uh, It's hard to say. I did really... (laughs) There was such a mix of approaches here because there's some people like Sam gets up there and, and just I laughed. He was so funny because he would just have this look on his face like I don't know anything. My brain is empty. I have nothing. And then he kind of felt bad for Arena who took the task and then just real. I mean, obviously very afraid of public speaking as she talked about. But really, I think also in one way it was harder for her because of that. But then had a slight benefit knowing that's another language and so it was just interesting to see how each team approached it. And I love watching the partners sit there. Like you watch Sarah getting just like so pumped up and then watching teams, you know, every, all of them had such interesting reactions. I just, I really enjoy seeing the partners sit out there and just kind of go through every emotion with the, with the other players.
0: And I love the other players using the other partners. Uh, I think one of my favorite lines of the whole episode was Joanne focusing on Dave's giant head while she was speaking. She's like, he's not going to be moving (laughs) around. I don't have to deal with his reaction. So she just gave the whole thing to Dave. And it's like, he's helping more than one person get through this roadblock.
1: Yeah, that was great. I love it because she of the teams that did well, um, of course, Thanesh, looking dapper in a suit. um, (laughs) As far as we can tell, just blew through this. like, Oh, this is and, and, you know, as somebody I haven't gone back and tracked everything he's done. They've had issues and whatever. And, you know, but he these roadblocks, he almost just scoffs at the roadblocks. It seems like especially the ones like this. And then Joanne really stepped up and did well, too. So those two kind of were able to really I don't know. They both had the right mindset for this and nothing against the other teams, because I don't know how it it's done. But I would have thought that James would do very well, given how he's done. And it was very tough for him. I think he
0: just overthought it. I think he was trying to apply this really complex mnemonic device to it when I think he should have just spent the time memorizing. And I mean, everybody got through it eventually, but I was very surprised as well because he seems like he has a very good memory. And we've seen that
1: play out in a few other instances. Yeah, totally. And also, I did want to mention while we were talking about, Joanne. In that um, she had her first time out, it, there was this really triumphant music, and like she was getting through it, and so it was great. And then as she started to struggle, the music went like, womp, womp, womp. <laughs> and I wrote that down. It wasn't exactly that, but it was basically. And you guys look at her it, face, like not done yet. So that that was also entertaining to me. But I want to really talk about this was really interesting to me for Dave and Arena, and I know that they are for good reasons or not, or whatever, they're very divisive team. But we've mentioned before their relationship. I mean, she was about ready to quit. And he handled it. We talked in the past too about how Tanesha's handled Arthi very well and such and how other partners have really supported each other. He did such a good job supporting her here because he didn't come in and like put extra pressure on her. He just kind of said she could do it and just kind of hung out there. And, you know, he almost was like, when she got it, there was like tears in his eyes. He was so excited. I mean, you got to like that. I really loved them, this leg. And they have a lot of
0: fans among our listeners. And I think it's a lot of the people and the ironic, like they're here to break the machine. So we love them. And they go against everybody else. And they're the outsiders. And you love to hate them. And they're a little bit evil. But this leg, they were just awesome racers that were having a good time. And I think that is kind of the key. The thing that makes them really innately likable, especially on this leg, is that they were definitely there to have a good time. And you don't see that in a lot of teams that I guess I haven't responded to quite as much. They're just there for the paycheck or they're there to win and they're only talking about winning and they're not appreciating everything that's going on around them. But the excitement when David Arena found out they were going to Quebec in the first place, that was really fun and really contagious. and then to have them get through this task in this way where they were supporting each other in Arena knew what she needed in the moment. And I know there's gonna be a lot of people out there that are going to react to her over-emotional reaction here, but I think she knew what she needed to get through it. And she needed that pep talk and she said, I need Dave. Can I talk to Dave? Dave comes out and talks to her, and then she gets through it. And none of us can predict how emotional we would get if we were in a situation like this where we had a lot of money on the line and we had the our continued status in this adventure, regardless of how you feel about the money. Our continued status as racers on this show, with all of Canada watching, I, I know I harp on this a lot, but nobody knows how they would fare until they're in that position. And I don't think you can ever fault somebody for having an emotional reaction in the moment. Because she was very emotional in the moment. I don't think that's a reason to say that she's not a good racer or that she's not pulling her weight here. I thought she I thought she did great. And when I saw that it was a multilingual task, I thought, well, of course, she's going to be perfect for this.
1: Yeah, totally. Because it it's going to benefit you here where you have to speak in English and French and then also deal, you know, respond in other languages, even if your pronunciation is I'm not talking about her, just in general, not that great. One's pronunciation. Yeah. I did enjoy, too, that Dave, during his pep talk, was like, well, Sam's doing terrible, so you'll be fine. And that line made her calmer. she's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm fine. I love that he did that in
0: French in front of Sam, too. Like, yes. that was kind of, that was so shady and kind of hilarious.
1: And Sam's over there like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get it. or <laughs> And, he's over there. and I, yeah, he didn't, and again, he did it in French, so he recognized he's not going to call out Sam in front of him. I mean, directly, where he would hear, <laughs> him because he was standing right there. And actually, he walked around. I don't think at first he realized that he was going to be right there. but. It was, it was just a nice moment, and whether, you know, I can appreciate that, and I'll, I saw that, and I wanted her to get it, and not because I drafted them, but because I felt like when somebody's fighting that hard, and they didn't quit, and they didn't, obviously, the penalty would have been a killer here, but they didn't really focus that much. She said she wanted to quit, but I think it was just a momentary thing, so it ended up being where they come out of it third, and I know they got lost, and they did argue a bit, but again, with all of these teams, when they're Like, I don't, I sympathize so much with all the teams here that were getting so stressed, but I think it leads to great drama because there's so much on the line.
0: Yeah, it's true. And whether that thing on the line is actually winning or just like being there a little bit longer, I can see where it would be the only thing that matters to you in that moment. And yeah, I don't love that every time Arena hits some kind of roadblock, she does the thing where she wants to walk away from all of it. but. She also didn't walk away from all of it. And I think that's got to be commended as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, I also want to mention with with the that his dad has run for city council and um, that may have helped him from what he mentioned. But I thought it was interesting. We saw a picture of his dad and all that. So, again, kind of referencing what we mentioned at the top of our show, which is we're getting to know more stories about some of the backgrounds of some of the teams in little bits but it's helping to kind of build up each of their stories that way.
0: It's true. I feel like I know all of these teams really, really well, which even Amazing Race Canada has not always been this good
1: at doing. Yeah, and I think it's gotten better as this season's gone on. They've like we said up front, they've done a good job presenting these teams. And that's where we get criticism where people say the problem with this season is the teams or who the teams are, the makeup of the teams. That kind of gets my back up a little bit because I feel like, no, I I don't think you and I have really this is not a bland cast. This is not a like robot like cast or just you know, anything. This is, a, I mean, a solid group. This last five is great. So if our concerns are, it's mostly had to do with leg design. Some of it relating to them being in Canada and some of it just kind of weird editing, but it doesn't have to do with the teams, at least from what I can tell, especially and this week, just spotlighted that you give these teams, interesting tasks, good leg design, it's going to be a fun show.
0: Right. And, you know, before every season starts, we do our draft. And I always say, I'm going to choose the most boring game body team. And that's going to be the team that wins. And I've been right. And this season, I went for that team. And I think this was true a little bit last season as well. We kind of went for that team, and I've gone for those teams and said, like, I think this is the team that seems like it's most likely to win just based on paper. And then that team turns out to also be really entertaining. I think Sam and Sarah have kind of, the last few episodes have really just blossomed into this really interesting team. And this is something I wanted to ask you, Dan, because maybe you were tracking this a little more closely than I was. Word of the day has not been a thing every episode. It's only been recently that
1: that has come up, right? Yeah, I think it's the last three episodes we seen it. I am sure they have likely done it every time. That's my guess. But we've only seen it, I believe, the last three. And I think... um I don't even remember what the other words were now. Uh, but so I was going to say like persistence, but I don't think that's right or something, something like that. They're all kind of in a similar vein. But to me, that kind of you last week called out that you you put them as number one on the power rankings, mostly just because of kind of the story we'd seen and how it'd been building up. And I kind of thought, oh, it's more Anthony and James or maybe Anthony and Thanesh, who are also getting good stories. But I don't know that kind of thing. Things like that sometimes get shown for winning teams. That's what I. That's what I'm wondering.
0: I think we've just gotten more and more of them. Every progressive episode is just like a little bit more the Sam and Sarah show. So I'm feeling really good about that winter pick.
1: Yeah, and I would have. They were also even though I didn't draft them, they would. Be, I would have drafted them. I would think first, though, I, my sentimental reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, it's funny because. It's so much based on perspective, though, because you can look at it. You can look at this week with Dave and Arena and say, you know, because I brought this up last week. Things are sort of changing a bit. But you could also look at it and say, no, they're showing them struggling. They're showing them arguing. That's not it at all. Same with the Earth and the Nesh. It's so much how you read what we see. So I think Sarah and Sam, that's a really convincing story but you could also make that for most of the other teams too. So who knows?
0: I like it when we're at this point in the race and I can see a path to victory for any of the remaining teams. And I wouldn't have said it about Joanne and Lauren until this week, until we got this, hey, we've never won a leg. We're the only team that's never finished higher than fourth. And then they almost win this leg. I think that starts to point toward, oh, well, maybe they're going to finally figure it out and start coming from behind. So I I think I like the chances of any of these teams, except possibly Dave and Arena, just because they were they got such an OTTN edit at the beginning.
1: Yeah, and I will say um, I'm pulling for Lauren and Joanne just because I like the kind of underdog team and I would not be upset with some of the other teams winning. But this week, especially when they like when they got the roadblock and then they were doing so well, I was I was happy. That's I, was gonna say, I don't like to pull too much for one team, but um, but I was happy. I guess we should move on to the detour now here with the the big question of this or that.
0: So, Dan, how do you feel about this or that? Because I have strong
1: feelings and I want to see if we match up here. I liked it this week because I feel like we've had also because I just feel like this season. Some of the detours have been unbalanced or teams have gone to one or the other. There's been a lot of weirdness with the detours. So I feel like for this season, the this or that worked because I feel like it it just introduced some randomness to it. But I mean, the flip side is if you don't like randomness or something, that's I mean, that's bad because really I felt like the paintings were harder and more time consuming. But I don't feel like it was so unbalanced where this seemed ridiculous.
0: Yeah, co-signed, although I think I'm higher on this or that than you are. I think it's fantastic. There's so many factors in, that go into choosing a detour that we never get to see without like really digging into like, going on Google Maps and looking at it and looking at the various amounts of time trying to figure out how long people take at the different tasks. And with this one, that takes it all out of the equation it's kind of a toss-up. And it ensures that both of the detours really get done. And I think these detours... If they would presented them in some cutesy way and given them an overview of what it is, I think we wouldn't have had anybody doing
1: the painting the eggs. Right. And that's the big benefit because you saw it where you had two teams go to this and three teams go to that. And that is what you want. Again, this is what we talked about last week. You have a detour where teams are split in different places so you can cross cut between one or the other. You've got teams playing picklet. You've got teams painting. You saw it with first and second. You saw it later with the fourth and fifth place teams as they were cross-cutting. So that's why I meant more about this leg, because I liked what it did. And I think, in a way, I'm so much of my reaction this week is in response to last week. And again, it's on a non-elimination leg, which I feel like, again, one of the best legs I've enjoyed the most this season. Again, didn't eliminate anyone. But I feel like doing this, you allowed for there to be tension because everybody if everybody had just been going to the picklet is that right? <laughs> oh i think that's what it's called i don't think there would have been a lot of movement
0: i i agree uh i don't think there would have been much movement but i also want to point out that picklet is not a real sport it barely exists on google let alone wikipedia it looks like something a bunch of drunk people made up in their backyard with a bunch of scrap lumber and i don't think it's a real thing. It may well have been invented for this show is how not a real thing I think it is.
1: Well, it reminds me of the what do they play at the end of Amazing Race 31 in the US that like that game that was just like at a bar or something. <laughs> this is pretty much I mean, it's, you know, but in a weird way, part of me compared to like last week when they was the last week, the week they did the lacrosse, comparing that to the lac- lacrosse, which it's just like, night and day and this wasn't even so fascinating but you got a band playing you got the people there it just felt more unique to the area and the fact that it's not that big of a thing actually makes it fit better because then it's not like oh you're gonna do something you could do in anywhere in you know as opposed to i figured it was the following the fooling the bowling football now that i remember i was trying to remember what that was but It just seemed a little different. And this wasn't the most thrilling thing, but we also didn't watch teams do it for 20 minutes. So it was perfect.
0: Yeah. So let this be a lesson to Canadian small towns everywhere. If you want Amazing Race Canada to come film in your town, just invent a sport and then make believe it's a thing. And Amazing Race Canada will come to you. If you build it, they will come.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I did enjoy at first teams having such a hard time getting going on that, where like, Dave, we had this montage of Dave missing like 10 times in a row. And then it was just like, oh, like Arena got it. He's like, oh, I don't have to swing so hard because the ball just kind of does it or whatever they're hitting. And then it was pretty easy. So there was some fun with that. And the painting itself on its own, not the most thrilling thing you've ever seen. But again, they had it was something where they added that extra step where they had to go find the house, which I thought I think the show thought that would make it more even. I actually think that was the step that made it slightly uneven. But again, I don't feel like it was if teams were really good painters, really bad at picklet, it would totally work out. Yeah,
0: it, it It's true. And I, I appreciated John's delivery of egg samples because it was egg samples and it was also examples. It was very punny and very endearing. And also, this brings me to. Our weekly installment, and this is kind of a stretch, but this is our weekly installment of Weird or Canadian.
1: Weird or Canadian,
0: eh? So, Weird or Canadian, pronunciation of the word emu.
1: Oh, man. See, okay, I'm trying to think of how I would pronounce it. (laughs) Um, I think emu is right, but, or is it emu? See, here's the thing. This is neither weird nor Canadian. This is
0: correct. According to a New Zealander who listens to the podcast, pointed out to us that this is the first time she's heard people on Western television pronouncing the word emu correctly. And I always thought it was emu, but I also am a damn Yankee. So I'm going to go with it. This is not weird. It's not Canadian. It's just correct and normal. So let's normalize the usage of emu.
1: I like it. It's like another option. You still say weird to Canadian, but there is the Hold on a second. It's neither approach. I like that. Answer number C. It's good.
0: Yep. Weird, Canadian, or objectively
1: correct. I'll take it. <laughs> you gotta say it like that too. Objectively correct. Like, yes, it's right. We're all good. Um, okay, so we saw the winning leg. We they really added it to make it close. I thought, Arthea Vinesh, here's the thing. They got lost apparently for several hours. And there was this weird moment where she was just like, turn around. Turn around, turn around. And he was in this like weird mental zone. Like he was just looking ahead and looking. I think he was trying to figure it out. and wasn't, you know, how sometimes, you know, you're not really listening and you're just trying to figure it out. But it was just an interesting contrast in styles. But after all that, they still finished first, which to me, again, shows how long this leg really was. Well,
0: Dan, do we know it was several hours
1: or do we just
0: have are word for it (laughs) that it was several hours? Because I think there have been a couple of instances this season where we have taken Artie's outsized emotional reaction to something as the gospel truth as to how long something has taken or how complicated something actually was. I think I need only point to the corn maze. It's not really a corn maze, but it was a maze and there was corn near it. Um, <laughs> and. It turns out they were only in there for about 15 minutes. So I think what we're seeing is some really judicious editing. And again, this goes back to how well edited this season has been, where it does make it seem like it's catastrophic, like they are catastrophically lost. And I don't necessarily buy that that was the case. I think they probably drove around for a while. I think they drove around long enough to realize that if somebody had been really good at a task, they probably passed them. I think time tends to stretch out to expand the task to the fit, the task that you're doing. And I think they probably felt like they had been out there long enough that the other teams were passing them. But do I think they were really out there for several hours? They might've been out there for an hour, but I also don't think they were so far ahead that they were an entire hour ahead of all of the other teams.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. But there was a moment where we saw on the map where he said, we're going to, cause they went to the wrong musee and, um, so they did go pretty far and then someone said twenty minutes the other way, I think. So you're probably talking, yeah, like if you think let's assume they drove twenty minutes the wrong way and twenty minutes back, and then maybe it was an hour. So I might be might be exaggerating a little bit in terms of how that worked. But um but yeah, they hung in there and then Lauren and Joanne came in a strong second, which was which was fun to see too.
0: Yeah. And again, It's true that that was a very hard roadblock and Nash did such a great job with it that he could have had a significant lead on them. But am I buying that it was to the tune of several hours? Not necessarily. And yeah, Lauren and Joanne right up in there. They could have won the leg if a couple of things had shaken out differently.
1: Yeah. And I enjoyed their reaction to being they still seem really shocked because they had gone to the painting and I think they got out of there before Anthony and James even got there. So they had seen no teams. And I know it taken a while, so they probably could have they probably didn't think they were last, but they probably could have thought third, fourth, whatever. And who knows, you know? So so that's another interesting thing about getting the team spread out with the detours. We actually had a situation where it seemed like all, none of the teams really were at their detour at the same time as another team, because you had like the teams that went, you know, one, three, four or two, five. It was just spread out really well. And then we had the oh, Anthony and James. When you have a foot race, you don't want to be going against the Olympians, unfortunately.
0: That's a rough team to be doing a foot race against, for sure. And I think I want to go back to that point where nobody was at the roadblock. Nobody was at the detour at the same time as anybody else. Because I think that's really, really interesting. And that has to really play with your head. And I think that's probably also what what contributed to Arthi being as upset as she was. Because she has no idea. For all she knows, the other half of that detour... They chose that. For all she knows, this took 15 minutes. All the other teams went to this and breezed through this and they did that and it took them a little while to figure it out and now they're lost. Obviously, you could feel in that situation like you were in last place. And I think every team at some point had to start thinking if all the other teams chose the other half the detour and all the other teams are good at it, we're totally screwed right now. And that's kind of fun too because you don't always have a situation where every team feels like they might be in last place.
1: Yeah, it's true. And part of that is the self-driving, again, like we talked about, because you got to figure if you get in a cab, the cab doesn't get lost or whatever, or you're just going a short distance, the odds are lesser that that's going to happen. And you really saw from the reactions of all the teams that they didn't really know where they were and so it was even a situation where I'm not sure the last two teams knew they were fourth and fifth. They might have suspected it. But, um, you know, and then you had a, a case where, you know, Sam's like, it's OK, guys, you got you got the rest of your life ahead of you. And John's like, nope, you're, you know, not yet. And, um, you know, it wasn't the biggest reaction we've ever seen, but I think they still were pretty stunned. And it's a keep on racing leg. So even more fun. Yeah. I love to keep on racing legs because it's like all the
0: drama of the non-elimination and none of the getting everybody to rest, like get right back out there, keep going. And especially after a really hard leg,
1: that's a lot of fun. Before we get to questions, I have to mention John with the, the wonderful quote of the year, I think where they're hugging, they're happy, you know, it's all good. And John's, Forget the loving, rip and read. So he, John, just like, come on, guys. He had to throw in the rip and read, which he's been trying to make a thing for like three years. But <laughs> then the, um, had to the forget the loving, like, come on, guys. And, um, you know, the teams kind of looked at him like, all right, I guess we'll go, you know. But no. John is the enemy of friendly fun between the teams. I don't mean that in some weird way. (laughs) That that sounded a little odd, but, um, you know, rip and read, John. There you go. No time for love, Dr. Jones. Yes. And so so they're heading to Thunder Bay next week. Should be fun.
0: Yeah. Thunder Bay via Toronto. I want to give a shout out to the Royal Ontario Museum where they're going to have to stop before they go to Thunder Bay. Presumably, it looks like there's some, some kind of dinosaur puzzle solving task, which is very exciting. The dinosaurs in the Royal Ontario Museum are really epic. And we had a great time last September visiting there.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And again, they're doing a thing before they travel. How good is that?
0: I love it when you do a thing before you travel amazing race producers take note every single problem you have with designing a leg can be solved by making people do more things hashtag do more things
1: well that's pretty much what i just tell the the u.s if they ever you know if they ever came to me and said how do we make the amazing race u.s better i'd say have them do more things that's what they have to do that's the case it's simple i think it needs to be printed on a t-shirt do more things (laughs) hashtag amazing race canada
2: Wow, how things can change from one week to the next.
1: Okay, are we ready for questions? Yes, please. Okay, let's see here. Where should we start here? There's just so much excitement here. Um, we talked a lot about the edit, so I don't know how much... It, what what interests me about this is how different everyone is reading this. So we had Arjun Kishore who says, could they make the Sarah and Sam Winters edit more obvious, but then also mention the human moments for Dave and arena Andrew Butts, I don't think Sarah and Sam are getting the winner's edit and he doesn't like the word of the day, so it's annoying. Um and then AM says, um, he didn't or AM didn't see Dave and Arena's edit better. I don't understand, Jess. What's going on?
0: <laughs> I think what's going on is great editing because I think people take what they want to see and they project it onto the edit and This is an edit that's just still, the future is wide open. You could go in any direction with with a winner story here, and that's a mark of a good season with good editing. We know all the teams really well, and we have a vested interest in wanting each of them to go far, but we don't know which team it is yet, and I love it.
1: it. In a sense, you want to have a situation. You don't want a situation where every person watching the show is rooting for the same team and thinks the same team's going to win, which might not be the same thing, because you've had those seasons where you get down to the final five and you're like, if that team goes out, I'm out of here or, you know, I don't care. And that team's going to win. And I've pegged them since like four. I think every week I tell you that someone different is going to win. So obviously, and as anyone knows, you should not listen to me when you're doing this because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So um, it's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, That was such a great segue for me there. But here. So, Jess, I'm going to throw this over to you. Um, What's going on with these? Voice of Silence wants to know, what's the deal with the German sentence? What is it? It's not even proper grammar. It doesn't make sense. Other people had similar questions. What's up with this?
0: They didn't have any actual German speakers on staff. And I think they needed three languages from the G7. And they basically ran some words through Google Translate, decided it sounded good and threw it at the wall and To see if it stuck. Uh, because yeah, it wasn't great German from a grammatical point of view. And also, they didn't really dock anybody for not being able to pronounce any of the German words. Of course. They butchered the Japanese and Italian words just as badly. I want to give a shout out to Arena who pronounced just about everything correctly except the German. But nobody got any of those German words correct. And it was pretty entertaining to
1: watch. Yeah, a lot of speaking phonetically and slowly. And, you know, you had a case where I don't mean to pick on Sam. But, yeah, his um his Italian and Japanese, especially and German, not so great. But again, If they had really made them say everything like perfectly, they would have been there for there would have been about John would have been had everyone at the mat going, okay penalty takers again, because it would never would have worked.
0: It's true. And I think we've got to point out that this task couldn't have been crazy hard and crazy life sucking because somebody would have taken a penalty. Right. It couldn't possibly have taken them six hours to do because somebody would have taken the penalty.
1: Right. It would have. And then that would have been it. It would have. I mean, it would have been an elimination, but it would have messed up the whole leg and it would not have been what we were kind of hoping it would be. So um, other questions, Jess, what do you think?
0: I thought Mark Carroll was really funny uh, because he's not wrong. (laughs) Um, He said, Jess, did they hire you as a German speaking extra? And (laughs) I totally see it. That was really funny. Um, That woman did look a Fair amount like me.
1: The question is, could you do a better job with the German than she did or coming up with better phrases?
0: I I think I probably could. I did take three years of college German and spent a summer mostly in Germany. And while my German is terrible now, whenever I go to Germany, it takes me about two or three hours to start picking it up again.
1: So here's my question about this. You know, you have everybody with their notepads and with their cameras. Were any of those people real journalists or were they just like Extras? Did they do a contest in town? Like, how do we get all those people there? Those
0: are 100% extras. I think they are locals. I think every single person who lived in that town got to play a role in the amazing race if they wanted to. Between the picklet and this task, it was like, hey, just show up and we'll
1: put you in a suit and give you a job. I think so. That was the big question for me. Like, where are the journalists? They're all in that room, basically, all the journalists from the area all arrived for the G7 summit. And then we're stunned to see that it was amazing racers with, of course, their helper who had to, of course, keep coming in and saying the press conference is over repeatedly.
0: I, I quite liked that. I thought that kind of
1: gave it a little bit of gravitas that made it more entertaining. Yeah. Not, not just where they said like wrong or they said, um I'm sorry, but you, you know, like, I don't know how many different ways they would say it. You're, that's not the way I penned this poem. <laughs> you are not G7 material. Or I don't know, <laughs> something terrible like that. So um, we had a few questions about tasks. We did. I mean, we had a comment from Derek Sue just saying the return of the roadblock makes this episode so much better. I rubber stamp that. We also had Darkest. Who said, Judging by the preview, it looks like we won't be seeing the one way U turn on the next leg. Do you think this leg could have used a U turn? It was the question. While the roadblock was great, the leg itself felt empty. What do you think?
0: I disagree. I didn't think the leg felt empty at all. I thought it had almost all of the things that I would like. I could have used one more task because, again, hashtag do more things, but I really felt like we got a very good sense of what the region is like, and we had tasks that were hard enough that we got some good drama. I don't think I necessarily want a U-turn on a blind detour. I think I don't want to penalize somebody for choosing that and then having to go back and do this. I would rather have somebody make an informed choice and then be told that their informed choice was incorrect and they have to go do the other one too. I think the U-turn
1: is more diabolical there. And the one way doesn't make sense to me because the whole point of the one way is you're supposed to look at what the tasks are and then choose to send someone to a person to a certain task based on what you know of them. Now, of course, if they really wanted to make it random, I guess they could introduce some weird strategy there. But I think you're getting too cute at that point.
0: It's a little bit overthinky for me. All right. So I think we've been through all of the questions. Uh, We got some great questions this week and we want to thank you all again for throwing those up there a very last minute because I think Dan and I both watched this episode on Wednesday night. We're recording Thursday night. So not a ton of turnaround time on those questions. And again, if you are watching the show live in real time and you think of stuff you want us to discuss, it is an occupational hazard for us to get spoiled. So go ahead and tweet those questions at us as they occur
1: to you. We really don't mind. I promise. Yeah, I agree. It's It's been fun. And I think I think we're in store for a good finish. I was a little concerned last week, but I feel like coming on the heels of this also knowing we don't have any more non elimination legs with three left. I feel like we're going to have a good run, which we saw something very similar in the US 31 where they got the non elimination legs out of the way even earlier than this. And then just roll through and that finish was really strong. And I think that could happen here, too.
0: It feels like it's going to be a good one for sure. So I guess with that, I'll move on to housekeeping, Dan, if there's nothing else. No, I think we're ready. This was this was a fun week. All right, great. So one thing that you all may be wondering, and if you've gotten all the way through eight episodes of a podcast about Amazing Race Canada without watching the show, I commend you. But you may be wondering, how is the best way to watch the Amazing Race Canada if I myself am not Canadian? And so I'm here to tell you that it is not an easy task, but there are many solutions. And obviously, you could just fly to Canada like we do, but that gets expensive. So the most practical piece of advice that I can give you is that you should become a patron of Rob a Podcast. Rob a Podcast patrons receive a number of perks, including access to the secret patron-only Facebook group, where you can connect with other fans and talk about all things reality TV, including where you can watch this very program. In fact, usually links to view it are posted in the group shortly after each episode airs, and I want to give a shout-out to the intrepid fans that track down those links and post them as soon as we get them, because we got it very early this week, and it was very helpful. So if you like the show, I hope you subscribe. subscribed. You can find new episodes of this podcast in the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed, or in the Rob Has a Podcast Amazing Race feed. We love getting feedback from all of our listeners, and there are a lot of ways to let us know how you like the podcast. You can leave us a review in the iTunes store. That helps us out, helps other people find the podcast. You can leave a comment on the page for this episode on com, or you can find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Haymaker And Dan, where can we
1: find you? I am at the Dan Heaton. I also do a podcast about theme parks called the Tomorrow Society podcast. This weekend is the D23 Expo, which is the big Disney sort of like Comic-Con conference in Anaheim and And so I'm going to await the news of new things and do an impromptu podcast very quickly that I will have up um, probably around the time on Monday or so, probably after you've heard this. And so that should be really fun. And you can learn more at TomorrowSociety.com.
0: It's a very fun podcast, Dan, and you've been doing great work. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, You can find some other things that I'm doing over on Primetimer.com, where I occasionally contribute feature articles. And I have one going up this weekend about the MTV Video Music Awards, breaking down some of the most iconic moments from the VMAs. Uh, don't forget to check out everything else that's happening in the Rob is a Podcast universe. Our coverage of Big Brother will never stop happening. And we're also covering all kinds of other things, including Bachelor in Paradise, Australian Survivor, Are You the One? Lots of other shows. I think it's very... Worth noting to all of our Canadian listeners that this upcoming episode of Robin Akiva and Nita podcast is going to be about Canadian television. And I believe that Robin Akiva are slated to watch several Canadian TV shows and give their opinions on what is happening in those shows. And I have also lobbied, I believe successfully to have them watch a few classic Canadian public service announcements. So. Look forward to that. I believe that's going to drop this weekend and that will be a lot of fun. So that is our show. I would like to thank Dan Heaton, as always, for joining me on this incredible Canadian journey. Rob Sestranino for giving us a platform, Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes, all of the patrons of Rob as a podcast, and all of our listeners around the world. Take care, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week. The press conference has
2: concluded.